Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, this is Dr. Chip Dodd. Welcome to the How to Live Podcast Uncut. Today's podcast really has two titles, one that will make clear sense, and the second one, which is a metaphor that will unwind itself throughout the podcast. The podcast today is about, is titled, How to Become and Remain Strong and Courageous. Every single one of us needs strength and courage to be able to go about our daily lives, especially if we're in pursuit of a life to the full. But all of us need to be strong and courageous because One, life happens. Some of you have heard me say many times that life is tragic and God is faithful. The first two books of the Bible and the book of Genesis are beautiful. It's Edenic. The last two books are phenomenal. They're glorious because it's heaven on earth. But everything in between is a love letter continuing to call us, pursue us, and move us across the uh, difficult land through struggle to where we're made to go. And it is a walk by faith as much and even more than it is a walk by sight. So we need to be strong and courageous because life happens. And no matter how much we wish otherwise, every single one of us, if we are alive in heart at all, we are going to experience heartache and heartbreak, even amidst the great celebrations. In fact, a a friend of mine today sent out just a quick uh, blurb about uh, how hard it was to be at church today without her firstborn being there because she just went to college, which is a great sorrowful joy or a joyful sorrow. One, joyful that she's able to go. She's healthy enough to be capable of going and sad because the the, the daughter who grew wings uh, has to leave to, to actually use them. So, even in its greatest moments, there can be a sense of loss related to even great joys. So such is the nature of life. It doesn't mean you're being a baby to feel life on life's terms. So we need to be strong and courageous because life happens. Number two, we need to be able to develop, maintain, and sustain strength and courage because we are made to hope. It is the inextinguishable flame within us that is simply put, we almost have to anesthetize ourselves, numb ourselves, run from ourselves, find some way of escaping ourselves to attempt to extinguish the inextinguishable flame called hope. Even in some of our worst moments, we continue to carry this idea that maybe something greater will happen than the misery that we're experiencing. Even if we're floating in the middle of the ocean as far away from as far away, a rescue that we could even imagine, there's still something within us that says, well, maybe something will happen. Maybe there will be a rescue. So this is uh, even cellular, this hope within us, even our cells cry out to live. For example, it, when, when uh, a person begins to faint, the body autonomically and automatically takes over to try to grasp air and to fight some form or fashion to stand and not fall. The um, Even if a person begins to, even in great, great depression, 
um, it has experience of suffocation, the, their lungs will fight to breathe. It is simply how we're created. So we need to be strong and courageous, one, because life happens and we're made to live it, two, because we're made to hope. And when hope is in us, it means that we're wishing for something that we don't have yet. And therefore, there is going to be the experience of life, which is which will be uh, scary because we've had times when we hoped and it didn't happen. We've have had times hoped when it did happen. But no matter what, when you're hoping for something, it's something you don't have, which means it's something you have to reach for, move towards. So it's scary. And also, it can mean you could get hurt. So hope in and of itself requires courage because it means stepping into the possibility of the unrealized, which is scary, and also the pain. We can get hurt by hoping, and yet we are, quote, unquote, forced to hope because of how we're created. It's literally in the DNA of how we are. And then three, we need to be strong and courageous because, frankly put, you may just have a passion and a purpose that you are pursuing that... um, simply uh, requires that you stay in the midst of wherever you're headed because it matters so much to you. Now, that passion, purpose, and pursuit can be simply as, as what we think of as simple as, as absolutely caring for your child's future, or it can be great as great as it, and as, as expansive as climbing the mountain of your dreams, which we think of in terms of I've, I've, I've uh, I have a dream. I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen Martin Luther King's speech. I have a dream. So, but daily life of pursuing the great life requires that we have passion, purpose, and we stay in pursuit. The book of Hebrews is amazing. Just the opening of the book of Hebrews is the that chapter 11 is an incredible description of passion, purpose, and pursuit. It starts out by saying, these people and the ancients were commended for it, it says, and it describes a great cloud of witnesses of people who've gone before the ones who are here now, like us. And it says of them about the ancients, they were commended for a thing called faith, which we are created to be commended for too. And faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, which means that you really do have a passion you really do have a, a purpose and you're in pursuit of its fulfillment. You have a mission and a vision. and But you're stepping into uh, the reality of moving towards a promised place, one, where you aren't, and two, it means leaving behind whatever you would consider the safety or comfort of where you were. And the, and the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews states about this faith that they were willing to be strangers and aliens related to the common everyday mundane life because they were headed to a country that their hearts were created to inhabit. And if they needed or wanted to go back to where they came from to avoid or escape this pain, they could have, but they didn't. They didn't want to. They were headed somewhere else, and it was related to a vision and a mission because it says The book says that even though they didn't get there, they were made to move towards it and couldn't do anything otherwise. So headed towards the promised land of the the fulfillment of life as God has ordained it to be. And then, um, so just to repeat, we need to be strong and courageous to have it, maintain it, and sustain it because life happens, because we hope, and because many of us uh, 
have a passion and a purpose, have a mission and a vision. We're sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see as God has ordained us to live headed towards a place that's not quite our own at this time, and yet we cannot stop pursuing it. So we're going to talk about three movements that are required for us as human beings to live as strong and courageous people. And the three movements are lingering, sharing, and acting. Now, I said that this um, podcast can be called Be Strong and Courageous. Another way of, of describing this podcast is called Go to Your Tent. And so here's the story about the development of strength and courage and how to keep it. In the, begin, in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, and this is the book about the, the cry of the heart of an enslaved people, the Israelites, were rescued by God through Moses and brought out of captivity into the freedom of the heart, and they were given a future called Headed Towards the Promised Land, which they had to walk to get there. So once they were out in the wilderness, out of Egypt, out of enslavement and the paradoxical comfort that enslavement brings because it keeps a person from having to depend upon the heart's craving and the deliverer. Slavery is more predictable, tragic as that sounds. So they, they were out in the wilderness and Moses, the leader, whenever they would stop and they would set up camp when they would be there for long periods of time, it says that Moses would take a tent and he would pitch it just outside the camp some distance away. And that place was called the Tent of Meeting. And the Tent of Meeting, meeting comes from two things. One is conciliation, which means to attune, which means there are two parties who are separated that get together and become attuned. And it's an amazing experience that's being described there because the way a child ends up being um, in relationship with the parent is through uh, acknowledgement of the parent towards the child, attending to the child, seeing, recognizing, uh, experiencing, and then attuning, which means that they pick up on each other in terms of communicating. There's an open channel of communication, which ends up physiologically, emotionally, even cognitively, putting that child in a place of social connection and even therefore social trust, commitment, faith, strength, and encouragement. So Moses would, would had this camp, uh, uh, this tent of meeting, and it says that he would go into this tent of meeting where two parties that were not together uh, until they were in relationship would find conciliation or they would find reconciliation, which means they would come together and meet again. And it says that when Moses would go into the tent, that the, the pillar of smoke would settle over the tent and the presence of God would be in that tent. And it says that, it says that God would speak to Moses in that tent face to face as a person, one person speaks to another with a friend. And what that means is in that tent, there was a, a shared experience. There was a shared communication that Moses was able to share his burdens 
and doubles, double his joys. He was getting vision and mission and gaining strength and courage in the midst of all of that. Now, this is the point. When Moses would leave the tent and go back, we're talking about the development of strength and courage. It says that there was a young aide, his name was Joshua, a young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, when Moses would leave the tent, Joshua would linger. Joshua would stay at the tent after Moses had departed. We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. And this is where I want to introduce us to the power of lingering. Now, what does lingering mean? Linger means linger to linger, to, to go to the tent and stay and, and reach out towards to experience something that connects you to strength and courage. Lingering means to remain in a place, even though it's time to go, because you are reluctant to leave. There's something happening there that it's important enough that you don't want to depart. And it says that Joshua was lingering at the tent. Now, what is, what is happening when a human being lingers? Now, for us, our lingering is being able to get up in the morning, go to your spot, go to your tent, go sit at your, your, your place of consideration, your place of conciliation, reconciliation. Go sit and be with yourself, uh, sort of like you pitch your tent outside the camp. Go be with yourself in solitude to spend time listening to your heart, and solitude always leads to conversation with God. So this lingering that we're made to do is to sit in a certain place, wherever your daily life is, go to this comfort zone and experience being a meeting with God, the lingering spot. Now, uh, lingering that Joshua was doing is what we're created to do, directly related to meeting with God as a friend to a friend. The acknowledgement, attending, and attunement that we're created to have that strengthens us and allows us to be courageous, which means full-hearted. Now, so I, I believe that Joshua was doing several things at this place. When he would linger at the tent, even after Moses had left, he was pondering, he was questioning, he was answering God's first question, where are you? He was uh, crying out, wondering, reaching out, taking in. He was asking, seeking, knocking of God. He was uh, hurting, expressing, fearing, imagining, wondering, hoping, longing, picturing, envisioning, imagining. He was bringing his whole hope-filled, longing, desiring, needing, feeling heart and articulating that into the presence of the hope for future with God. Now, lingering means to remain in a place because you are reluctant to leave. Two examples that I have of lingering in my own experience, when we're created to linger, to start the day in lingering, to start the day in our tent, 
Sonia and I were leaving Florida years ago, and um, we had spent a wonderful uh, 10 days at a, a very simple place. Uh, it was a block house, one bedroom, the old cinder block Florida houses, um, a one bedroom, probably maybe 900 square feet. So great to be there. Across the highway, um, A1A, was uh, a refuge, uh, acres and acres and acres of a refuge. To the right of the house was an empty lot. To the left of the house was a, a, an unfinished building. It was an abandoned house that was never finished. And then 30 feet out the boardwalk would step down in, down onto the sand and then whatever the tide was, we were that close to the ocean. We left one Sunday morning and I walked out to the end of the boardwalk to linger. I went out to say goodbye to the beach, to the time, to the experience, to the memories, the breathing in the air, to get prepared to come down from the mountaintop, so to speak, to uh, say goodbye to just the memories of us there together, um, appreciating with gratitude what I'd been given, um, praying related to return, work, responsibilities, even in some ways feeling lonely for that rest and yet fully recreated to be able to step back into what I was made to do. Not dreading the next day, but actually rendered strong and courageous from the time that we'd had there. And I wanted to go sort of make a stamp in my mind and heart of of, of uh, recognizing that and, and getting prepared to step back into, quote, unquote, battle of, you know, helping people see who they're made to be, so they do what they're made to do. And at that time, I was definitely fully involved in the addiction world, which is a life and death, very serious uh, endeavor. I was standing at the end of the boardwalk, not anticipating anything uh, gifting for me, but at the same time, just simply not reluctant. Uh, I was reluctant to leave. I happened to glance down and I saw a butterfly land on a flower and then take a drink of nectar and then pop up and head on down the beach. And then I looked down the beach and I noticed that there were little one, two, three, four, five, six little uh, pockets of dark spots coming towards me. And I realized that they were butterflies. And as far as I could see down the beach, I could see these dark dots coming towards me. And then I looked the other direction, just as far as I could see the other direction was the same thing. And I realized that I was, and these were monarchs, I realized that I was standing in the middle of a monarch migration. Thousands and thousands of monarchs were, were flying past me, never veering outside of their uh, current they were in. They were in an air current that somehow they were designed to be able to stay in. No more than 50 feet in circumference, they stayed in that, that, uh, that tunnel like a Gulf Stream in the the, the, um, the Gulf. So they were in the midst of that. Had I not lingered, I would not have had that experience, which to this day is a remarkable blessing that fills me with gratitude and appreciation and actually increases my sense of the presence of God, which is from the place from which I draw strength and courage because I am created to live fully in relationship with myself, others, and God. Another example of lingering, going to the tent, going to the place of outpouring of the heart, 
expressing the heart, wondering, imagining, pondering, asking, seeking, knocking, hurting, fearing, praise, worship, appreciation, gratitude, loneliness, fear, um, reaching out, crying out, uh, waiting, just waiting until we're spoken to. I remember I was uh, doing my daily, uh, and daily meaning having done so for years and years, uh, once I basically woke up to my neediness. But sitting there in the morning, I remember reading a meditation that said that when God no longer speaks, it means that God is trusting you, the reader, with something bigger. He's trusting you to trust him that something's coming. And sitting in your silence, somehow there's going to be a, a process that you'll go through in the waiting that will reveal something bigger. And I remember reading that, and then afterwards, um, the next day, as was my daily habit of lingering, of going to the tent. But and, and by the way, this is new for me, the recognition of going to the tent. I was just doing my prayer and meditation as I needed to do every day to be prepared to go live. But the next morning when I got up and began to do my, my reading and praying and journaling, that God didn't speak, so to speak. He, nothing happened. And I, I always had had that connection for some time. In fact, many times I was getting up like at five o'clock in the morning to um, pray, to meditate, to get prepared, to drink deeply from the well. And I couldn't help it. I wasn't forcing myself. I needed to and wanted to and knew that that day was going to be under a greater strength by doing it than it would have otherwise. So that next day, nothing happened. And then I'm, the next day, I'm journaling. Nothing happened. I thought I was playing a psychological trick on myself because I read this. Therefore, I had produced it, you know, like some kind of a, a mental suggestion. Tenth day, nothing. Twelfth day, nothing. Twenty-eighth day, nothing. And I'm journaling and writing um, things like, what did I do? Now, how come I kept going back? Well, the great good news is, um, in so many ways, I had nowhere else to go. And that's what I began to write probably about the 20th day. But by day 28, 29, I'm writing down like I've got nowhere to go. If you're not here, then I'm sunk. And I'm writing, I began to write, what did I do to make you leave? My lingering is not a monarch migration. My lingering is anguish. And because I know that without God, I can't. Just simply, I can't. And I was writing, what did I do to make you not love me? What did I do to make you leave? Just tell me what it is and I'll go get it so that you will come back. And then I remember writing again and I, I admit that I was tearful. Uh, actually, tears were going down my face. And I wrote, what did I do to make you stop loving me? And when I wrote that sentence down, I not audibly, but I heard not my voice, but an in deep inner voice of the Holy Spirit say, you're not talking to me. And it hit me. I wasn't talking to God. I was talking to uh, basically my father pre-recovery from his uh, struggles of his life. And I, I grew up believing that if I could perform, my father would care more. If I could do this, my father would feel better. If I could, classic adult child syndrome stuff. And it was an amazing thing to realize that, that in that lingering, in that waiting, and also recognizing I had no place left to run because I'd already been there and was in recovery from that, 
But in that waiting, in that lingering, in that pondering, in that crying out, in that wishing, in that imagining, I, I got something better than a monarch migration, which is wonderful. But I heard God say that that you're not talking to me, you're talking to someone else. And I, I was able to get a richer freedom from believing that I control God. I still was thinking that I was, whatever I was doing was somehow making God stay, that I was producing my reward from God because of my performance instead of it being my presence that was most valued. So that was an amazing blessing that came from the experience of lingering. 